This episode was produced on the lands of the Gadigal people. We pay our respects to the elders past and present. Welcome to the snowsbest.com podcast. Diving deep into the emotions and experiences that mountain life provides for skiers and boarders from first-timers to elite athletes. With your host, Miss Snow-It-All, Rachel Oaks-Ash. Welcome to the Snow's Best Podcast. I'm Rachel Oaks-Ash, a.k.a. Miss Snow-It-All. Today's guest is certainly a quiet achiever with big snowboard athletes under his wing. Just this season alone, his protégés have made serious history. 16-year-old Mia Brooks is the youngest FIS world champion in history, the first female to land a cab 1440 in competition, and Val Guselli, well, what can we say about Valentino? Well, I think we'll get Mikey to tell us all about him first. All I can say is multidiscipline, won a podium in three disciplines across snow sports in the past season. Slope style, big air and half pipe, never been done by a snowboard, or actually by a snow sports athlete full stop in the world. Mikey Williams. Welcome to the Snow's Best Podcast, Mikey. Thank you, Rach. Great to be here. Thanks very much for having me on. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm really excited to talk to you for a number of reasons, not just because you breathe the same air as our fabulous Valentino, but because you really have some interesting insights to courage and fear, particularly on the slopes and in competition, that you can actually translate into day-to-day life. And I think our listeners are all obviously skiers and snowboarders. We all feel fear at some stage. I am curious to know how you would define courage. You're right. Everybody listening can relate to having faced some fears in life. How I would define courage or facing fear is probably a situation where one faces danger or does so with courage, right? So, or perhaps one faces illness and does so with courage, with bravery, right? This idea that we can be in a fearful situation or a concerning situation and choose to do so bravely. How do you think you get to choose though? Because my experience, and, and you know, I'm not necessarily talking about competition right now because I guess you've put yourself, if you're a competitor, an athlete, you've put yourself in that position knowing that you're going to face fear and knowing that you're going to need courage to get down that slope or complete that trick in the half pipe. Most people, when, when they're faced with something which requires courage, either fight, flight, freeze or fawn. Would that be right? Sure. And and I think everybody listening can probably think of a time where they've had to overcome some adversity, being in a situation that's fearful or scary, whether that be, and we're talking through, so from a sports point of view, specifically snow sports, but really, yep. you know, many of us have faced some sort of illness in our time or certainly had a loved one that might be dealing with something. And, and that takes great courage to be able to stand to help and, and stand to be brave in those instances, whether it's personal or, or for somebody else. I think when when it comes down to being able to choose or train how to have bravery and face courage, really it comes down to mindfulness. And I like to think of this idea of, are you actually consciously aware of how you're feeling and how you're thinking in every, any given moment? And that can certainly be trained, how to train yourself to be more aware of how you're feeling in the moment. And, and then those feelings and those thoughts can be chosen. And when you learn to have mindfulness and to be consciously aware of what you think, feeling and and how you're thinking, then you have the opportunity to control your environment and your reality. And I believe that's really the key essence to being able to be brave, face adversity, fear uh, head on, um, and to choose when to be brave, because that's also a really important thing. I mean, fear is there to allow you to understand that things are dangerous Mm. and that that should be 
first thought about before you step through. But certainly, you know, they say that uh, danger is real and fear is a choice. And I think when it comes to consciousness, of being mindfulness and being consciously aware of that, then fear is a choice based on your training, the situation, dangers involved and, and what you're trying to get out of any opportunity. So I guess in that situation, when you're looking at danger and making that choice, you're actually doing risk assessment, really, aren't you? For sure. And, and I think, you know, when let's use my guys, for instance, and, and, and the snowboard team that I work with, they're highly trained and they've been doing this for a very, very long time. And so the dangers involved in the top moves that say Valentino or Jesse Parkinson and these these top, top guys are doing, that's something that's been slowly built, right? We didn't just climb to the top of Everest in one day, you know, it's step by step, it's slow, it, it's slowly but surely. And by the time you get to say, you know, a frontside 1800 or, or one of these exciting moves that you might see Val and Jesse performing at the highest level, usually to achieve that, we're only increasing that rotation by 180 every time we're ready to pursue something new. So in actual fact, the danger involved is less than, say, just trying to skip a step and go straight from 360 to 1080 without any real gauge. So certainly what we're doing is selective as far as the danger. It's a highly controlled environment. So I guess for punters like myself, watching your athletes perform, or do you use the word perform? I hate using the word perform as if it's just for an audience. It's not, is it? It's competition. What word do you use? I think performance is certainly something that we can look towards when we're forecasting the results that we want. We want to perform in this way. It's a sort of a forecast way of looking at it. I'm not sure what word we naturally use um, I don't know. for a second. At the end of the day, you're performing, I guess... The way we like to think about it is against yourself, right? Like our biggest competitor is always yourself. And I think that one way that we can deal with high intensity situations is that you're approaching this with this concept of either we're going to win or we're going to learn and we are either going to be successful at what we're trying to achieve or not. We can't do more than what we can personally do. So it wouldn't matter if you're going into a competition against people that you know are faster than you or, or, or better than you or have a bigger range of tricks. The idea is that can you be better than you were yesterday? Can you be the best person that you need to be in the moment? And, and that, that's, I suppose, where we like to focus on that individual performance. And it just so happens that if you do so at an elite level with training, usually your performance can put you in a position where you can have a great result and, and be very proud of that. I was just actually thinking about how when we watch somebody like Val or Jesse or Mia as a punter, it looks extremely dangerous, extremely dangerous. But you were just talking about how the danger is mitigated. So how much courage do these athletes actually need at that competition level, that elite competition level? How much do they need? I mean, a lot. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, the tricks they are doing are dangerous. And at that level, probably they can be life-threatening, right? I mean, there's no yes. joke. You know, when we talk about quad corks and, and the kind of stuff that these guys are performing, it is very, very dangerous. And therefore, the training environment, the decision-making, the communication and the trust between coach and athlete is essential to ensure the safety of the athlete, of the asset, right? There's a lot of support and investment going into these guys from a national to a sponsorship level. And it's really important from a coaching side of point of view that you understand the dangers involved and that we only allow access to certain maneuvers through progression safely to ensure longevity for the athlete. And at the end of the day, you know, these are human beings, these are family members, these are kids we care about, these are athletes that I've spent a lot of time with. It all comes down to trust. We trust, we communicate, we execute. How do you build trust with your athletes? Trust is 
the most important part of any relationship, right? If you can trust and communicate with each other, that's what real caring is. And I think we build trust over time. You know, really, they understand that, you know, at the end of the day, you're there to try to allow them to refocus and understand on what their dreams are, what their goals are, whether it be short term, on the day, long term. There are times where we need to hold these guys back and there are times where we need to, you know, put the foot down and 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 and, and apply some encouragement to ensure that they're tracking towards the goals that they're setting. Okay, let's talk about Val at the Fifth World Champs then, because he pulled out of, which events did he pull out of? Yeah, so Val had an injury in the practice of the slope style. The most amazing thing about Valentino, and he simply is an incredible human being, Val, both on and off the snow, anyone who's had the pleasure of meeting him will know he is an exceptional, exceptional young man. Not only extremely talented, but just humble and polite and courteous and he's a brilliant kid i think all of those things are a direct reflection of his environment his family just beautiful people so val is a very special human being and we can learn a lot from him and i think georgia and the world championships is a really good opportunity to reflect on that to see some courage and to see how somebody at his level operates and how he deals with this concept of mindfulness. So Valentino had a fall in the slope style practice, badly injuring both his ankles. It was definitely a grave concern at the time. There was concerns of double fractures. I mean, it was a big accident. And we're lucky to have a fantastic team there, um, a lot of support from a, from a national standpoint and, and some medical team there to assist us in understanding what we're looking at. I think as far as what it meant for Val is that, first of all, he couldn't compete in the slopestyle. Now, Valentino is went on to win third overall in the slopestyle Crystal Globes, not necessarily just a half-pipe jock. He really is the real deal when it comes to all three disciplines. So missing out on the slopestyle was a very big deal. And then we had him assessed. The medical team did a fantastic job from Australia. And we understood what we were dealing with, which was potentially the situation where we might miss all three events, being the big air and followed by the half pipe. When I went that evening and saw Valentino, it's quite incredible to see what this young athlete is dealing with, how he's dealing with it in the face of what can only be, de be described as catastrophe as far as his world championships is concerned. He was, and I'll paint you a little picture here, I entered his apartment and here is a 17-year-old Valentino pulling himself around on a pillow with his knees on a pillow and his ankles in the air in order to access the bathroom and the facilities, cook a pasta and, and, and do the Valentino thing. His mindset allows him to understand that he will grow from this, that this is an opportunity for him to become stronger and, and learn from, like we talk about winning or learning. He was also 100% convinced that he was going to compete potentially in the big air and 100% in the in the half pipe. We were yet to receive results from the scans. He just took on with courage and understanding that he was going to be okay. He could feel it in himself. Obviously, he's an, a professional athlete. He understands how his body feels and he knew he, he could have a go. But there was definitely a lot of concern in the Aussie and the Valentino camp for the next few days. And as history would have it, Valentino, the decision was made rightfully to miss the big air and Val approached the half pipe with caution. And for anyone who is unsure of the result, I suggest you jump onto his or my Instagram right now and check it out because it's it's arguably probably the greatest snowboard half pipe uh, display in history, certainly for him and, and the other athlete we should mention that went on to win the World Championship, Val finished second. Val 
came into that event with two severely swollen and injured ankles. He failed on run one and the pressure was on now to land two runs in a row, which he did. The rest is history. He went on to come second. I mean, it was phenomenal. It really was to, to watch his run. Well, to watch the top two runs, you, you couldn't actually see where the half point made the winner. Sure. And to do that with two bruised ankles, as you say, fully swollen, and no one no one back home in Australia really knew that outside of his inner circle, obviously. Right. So right. to discover that afterwards is 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 mind blowing because what kind of talent does that young man have? An incredible amount. Look, his ability to control his mindset and to understand where he's trying to go and to control his emotions um, and and to sort of you know he really is exceptional exceptional between the years. It's phenomenal. How did you get him to do this though? Like you mentioned to us in our EMAG about, uh, in the story about Val, that he is the master of mindfulness. What did you teach him? How did he learn this? Is this something he grew up with as a child or, I mean, you've been working with him as a coach since what, he was eight? Yeah, Val and I have been together since he was eight. And and look, it's not, it's by far not the Mikey show. There's a lot of talented people from around the world and and certainly he has exceptional family and, and his father Rick is an absolute Jedi master when it comes to snowboarding and, and competition and there's a lot of support there. So let's call me a, a small cog in, in an incredible machine that is the Valentino Gazelli show. But I've been working with Val since he was eight. At times without him knowing and without any of the athletes knowing, there are certain things that I do and don't allow as far as how to train mindfulness. This is the way you might talk to yourself, mention things about yourself, the internal monologue, we are trying to train you to always have a positive outlook and a positive way of being. Negativity is the enemy. We have to understand that any self-doubt is fear related at the bottom line. And, you know, that on the other side of fear are all your goals and dreams and really what you're looking for. And and I think most people who face fear and, and, and don't get me wrong, danger's real. I mean, don't go swimming with crocodiles. But if you're, if you're somebody <laughs> who is a bit shy, for instance, you could go out tomorrow with the idea of trying to start a conversation with a stranger, right? And, and that will just, yeah. that might be the, the most, the most difficult thing for you to do. But if you start really, really small and just try to say hello to somebody in the shop or whatever it might be, that's safe environment and all these things, you will realize that your fear is actually an internal monologue that you're telling yourself or a story that you're telling yourself that's actually there to protect you, but it's it's completely false. Do you have to get to the bottom of those though? I often wonder, do you actually have to know the why behind why you have that thought process in order to change it? Or can you just change it by constantly interrupting yeah, it? Yeah, I, I think you can change it by constantly interrupting it. And I think you can prove yourself that, you know, if it bothers you enough and something is troubling you enough that it's, you know, that you're sick of thinking it or feeling it, if you go out and try the opposite and actually apply yourself in that area that you're afraid of, you'll realize very quickly that you're built this up to be a mountain when it's actually a molehill. And by slowly chipping away, you can start to overcome that fear and and not be afraid of it all. You know, it's like having a spider or arachnophobia let's say, Rachel, I don't know how you feel about spiders. Oh, I'm okay with Okay, that. but like, you know, if there was a spider in the room right now, would you be able to sit in the same room as it, right? And I'd be watching yeah, it very closely. Right? You'd realize, uh, and I'd be trying to figure out if it was, I'd be Googling if it was a funnel web or yeah, what it was. I think you'd realize after an hour or so that the spider's not going to move. Right, and, and 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 that's sort of how you can deal with fear by spending time with fear. You begin to recognise that it's actually something that can be managed, right? And once you're consciously aware of how you're feeling, how you're thinking, and whether you are afraid and what you're afraid of, then you have the option to decide how to 
deal with it. And I think that's, you know, that's the message. And dealing with it, is that breathing? What is it? How do you deal with it? I mean, I can't, I mean, obviously sitting on the side of a half pipe before you jump in is a little different to say getting off a off the chairlift at Friday Flats, but I'm imagining the fear level would be akin to each other. I think there's a few different mechanisms to it. I mean, visualization is a great one, just visualizing, yeah. first of all, what you're trying to achieve. And most of the time, if you can visualize something from start to finish, there's a good chance that it's achievable for you. Um, if you can actually close your eyes and work through it from a visualization standpoint, I think, you know, there are other mechanisms like, for instance, what are you feeling when you feel the fear? You're afraid of an outcome right? So let's just talk in snowboard yep. terms. You might be trying to do a new trick at any level and you're afraid of injuring yourself. You're afraid of falling, right? And Or you might be afraid of looking silly or whatever it might be that is your qualm. That feeling that you have, you're carrying around that in the presence when I, I actually something that may or may not happen in the future. So what we like to do is to actually think, well, rather than thinking of what it might feel like to fail at that task, what would it feel like to land it? What would it mean to stomp that trick in the moment, to ride out in front of everybody and be a hero, win the event, to have that? And when you have that feeling, that is an exceptionally warm, fuzzy feeling that will replace the fear, the anxiety, uncertainty. And that is the feeling you should carry into the moment, right? This episode is supported by The North Face. The North Face fundamental mission remains unchanged since 1966. Just provide the best gear for athletes and the modern day explorer, support the preservation of the outdoors and inspire a global movement of exploration. Now, more than 55 years after its humble grand opening, The North Face delivers an extensive line of performance apparel, equipment and footwear. They push the boundaries of innovation so that you can push the boundaries of exploration. What if you're somebody who self-sabotages? So you go, oh, that feeling, and then you go, yeah, I'll never get that feeling. Yeah. What do you do with that? Look, I think, um, again, what you just did exactly right there, Rachel, was you said, I want this, or no, I can't have this. That was a choice. You made a choice right there to change your mindset from I'm going to achieve this to no, I never could. I want this. No, I don't deserve this, whatever it might be. When you practice mindfulness, you will learn to stop having the negative thoughts. They won't appear anymore over time. I had a negative thought this morning where, I mean, I probably had more than one just quietly, but I'm sure we have a lot. I had one that is a repetitive one, which involved comparison. And the comparison always puts me as the lesser person. Mm -hmm. The comparison is always that they are better than me, that I will never be like them, that I will never achieve what they have. And I'm so sick of hearing this in my, in my head that I actually, and I don't know if this is helpful or not. And maybe I did the wrong thing because aren't you supposed to teach it, treat yourself with self-care? I actually shouted at myself, yeah. stop yeah. it, just stop it. And all of a sudden I felt like I was an adult <laughs> with a child going, this is not good for you. Like seriously, you have to stop doing this. This is not going to help you in the long term. Yeah. Now, as a child, you can't rationalize that, but I could feel like the little me go, oh, thank God. Yeah. Oh, someone else has got control of this. That's all right then. Yeah. For sure. And look, I think what you're doing there is really brave, by the way, and courageous, right? To actually, you were consciously aware in the moment, you didn't like it. You looked yourself in the mirror and you, and you shouted, no, that's enough, right? And I actually have a mantra that I say to myself, which is don't believe everything you think, right? <laughs> Unless it's positive. Yeah. Okay. So if you have a negative thought, actually not true, you know, you should try to replace that with a positive thought if you can. And when you practice that, you get very 
much better at it. And the other thing you can do with that is use trigger points. Trigger music is a really, really good one. Um, for anyone that wakes up with anxiety or, or negativity or self-doubt or insecurity, your favorite music, as long as it's sort of motivational and uplifting, can really help change your energy and, and your vibration and your feeling. And I think that's a positive thing. The other good trigger points are to put words of, of encouragement um, and powerful little mantras around the house. So for instance, you might write on a sticky note, don't believe everything you think unless it's positive, right? And you might put that on the bathroom mirror. And every time you brush your teeth, you're reading that. And then that's sinking in in your subconscious. You put another one that says, feel the fear and do it anyway. And you put that on the fridge door. And every time you open the fridge door, you're reading that. And your mind and your thoughts will naturally throughout the day float towards this more positive approach and you'll just slowly start to face fear and and be more courageous and have bravery and you'll do it naturally. Oh, I'm going to so do this. The one thing, I mean, I've done this in the past, particularly when I've broken up with boyfriends and I've had a mantra that says, I accept that so-and-so is no longer in my life. I let him go and I move on, which I would say over and over again if I became obsessed about what this person was doing, which really helped me. But I was always under the impression that if you use negatives in affirmations, it's not such a great idea. So saying don't listen to rather than listen to only positive things that you think. Or the same thing as when you say don't forget your umbrella – well, what do you do? You forget your umbrella. Whereas you go, please remember your umbrella, right? And then you're more likely to remember your umbrella. Is that right or wrong? I think that's right. That wording it in the right way helps. I also think that whatever you're focused on is what you tend to see in your reality. Yeah. So if you're anyone's ever thought of, I'm going to buy a blue car, all you see is blue cars, right? When you wake up in the morning, you have a choice. I'm either going to go about this in a negative, from a negative point of view, right? And you can have a negative day or you can go at it with a positive outset and you can have a more positive day. And and your belief is your reality, right? So whatever you tend to put out there, you're going to see in the world and just choosing and being consciously aware of what you're choosing and and the ability to actually change those thoughts and that it is possible. Um, And it might sound like, a stretch to some people listening, but I promise you, if you practice it just like any other muscle, the brain can be trained. I'd love to know what you've done to Val because <laughs> because I met him last week. I've never met Val before. I was a little bit of a fangirl just quietly. But, you know, being a journalist, it was under the guise of, oh, I must have a chat to you, Val. So lovely to meet you finally. But really, I mean, I'm sure you can see right through yeah. that. He is an exceptional individual and exceptionally positive. And everything you had said about him was true that you had already told me about him before I met him. And, you know, I only spent a couple of hours with him. But what struck me was his unnerving belief of what he is going to achieve. So I was like, okay, so what's next? He goes, well, three gold medals at the Olympics. I'm like, oh, of course, of course that's what's next. This un, and it was just a given to him that that's what was going to happen. And when I asked him about the world championships and losing by half a point and how he said what his motivation was, and he he was interesting because he said, when my motivation is revenge or to get back, I don't necessarily get where I want to go. But when my motivation is to better myself, then I get to where I want to go. Now, is that something you've taught him? These are conversations that we've been having with Valentino since he was very young. His dad too, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah. His dad, his mother yeah. is incredible. I mean, his entire family, yeah. you know, the, the Gazellis are yeah. a special family. They understand this stuff. And it's not just Mikey teaching Valentino this. I just happen to be a big believer in this side of mindfulness. Look, at the highest level, talent is in abundance, right? We need to be doing something else in order to be achieving what we're achieving. And it happens off the snow. It's it's how we're thinking, how we're feeling. 
how hard we're working in the gym, our nutrition. It's all the extra things that go into being able to have such incredible opportunities at the highest level to have success like we see in Val. I think that when Val talks about being his only biggest competitor, that's this concept of whether either we win or learn. And, and there is an opportunity to learn and grow in every single outcome. It's no such thing as win or lose. People who think I'm going to win or lose in any environment, there's a lot of fear associated with loss. Most of the time, people are too afraid to even start. So they're afraid to start because they've already told themselves they're going to lose. They're not convinced that there's a scenario where they could likely win. So why would I approach this person? Why would I ask them out? Why would I put myself in a position where I could look silly or be vulnerable? vulnerable or, or, you know, it takes a lot of courage to back yourself and to do that and, and, and to put yourself out on the line. Can you have courage without vulnerability though? I think so because you can be cur- courageous for other people, right? So like sometimes like if somebody's dealing with an illness and it's not necessarily your illness but you need to be courageous for that friend, there's not necessarily any vulnerability in what you're doing because it's not you that's in danger but you're actually being courageous because you care about this person. You're being courageous in their eyes even when you know it's perhaps a, a very serious situation. No, I know plenty of people who have turned and run from impending death of family and friends because it was too much for them. It was too excruciating. So for them to step in would have been exceptionally vulnerable and a vulnerability they couldn't cope for with. For sure. You know, I think there's neither, neither is incorrect. It's just one of those situations where at the end of the day, there's so many ways to be courageous. It doesn't have to be sports related. It doesn't have to be fear related necessarily. It can be a small step for many of our listeners. I encourage everybody out there to try to find something that you afraid of. That's not necessarily too dangerous. I don't want any scary emails coming back to me or Rachel, but go out there and and face a fear and realize that it wasn't as scary as what you built it up to be. And when you start to do that on a small scale day to day, you'll soon be doing things in a year's time that you never believed was possible. And the amount of times I have athletes in front of me from a development level to a high performance level, and we talk about goals and what I'd like to achieve that day, and they say, if I did this, uh, that'd be impossible. I could never do that. And I can promise you, by the end of the day, we've achieved it. And, you know, that is possible, you know, to, to okay. think of something that you think is impossible and to work towards changing and doing that exact thing. So what are you scared of? Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a good question too. You know, I think just probably I'm a father now, so I, I have a lot of fear related to my you know, my young boy Rocco, who's three, and, and, and you know, I, I just want the best for him. So probably that's what springs to mind at the moment is ensuring that I'm doing things that are going to give him every opportunity that I was given and that he could grow into being somebody who's a great young man who people can care about and who can look after people. And I have fear probably around that, Rach, you know. So what do you do every day to deal with that then? This is a good question because people can actually do things day to day that help to build up that ability to overface adversity and and to have courage. And for instance, just going to the gym is a really good one or running, for instance, because it's difficult. So if you go and do a really hard workout, you're actually building some callus around giving up and stopping and the ability to control your mind and have better mindfulness just by going to the gym and doing an hour instead of 30 minutes by running two kilometers instead of one pushing through that pain barrier going beyond what you think is possible is going to create even for the everyday listener the ability to have a stronger mindset and to say no to that bad food to say no to that person that's treating you poorly to say no i can go on the trampoline and i should go to this spin class and i should talk to this person or whatever should we use the word should though wouldn't it be better to say 
it would be better for me. Or no, well, I don't even know. That sounds terrible as well. Can you use, should you use the word well, should? Yeah, you should, know. but you say I will, right? I will, I will, I will, I will, I will do this. Yeah. I will, right? But I think, you know, you, you get the idea of, of the direction that I'm trying to say. Yeah. And, and- Absolutely. I'm just anti-should because I'm, I'm such a rebel. When I feel like I'm telling myself to do something, I want to rebel against myself yeah. and tell myself to get stuffed and not do it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and look, I think it's also good to have high expectations of yourself and it's not always – I'm amazing and everything I do is going to be perfect. It's actually, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to improve every day. And and that if you are your own biggest competitor, to have high expectations and to want more from yourself is really, really important. It's just important to be aware if your inner monologue is stopping you from actually starting or achieving what you're trying to set out. Okay. Well, this has been fantastic. So we're all going to cultivate courage by thinking of something we are scared of. It might be smaller to start and actually just doing it, just sucking it up and doing it and then seeing how we feel afterwards. Exactly right. You know, you by facing fear, you'll soon realize that that story you're telling yourself was a lot bigger than it actually is and that you realize, I wish I'd done this a year ago and, and what else am I telling myself I can't achieve? Just before we go, is that why sometimes when you actually do something that you were so scared of and then it turns out to be okay that you end up bursting into tears? Sure. It's such a, a, a visceral response to go, oh, my God, I did that. And then next thing you know, you've got tears flooding down your face. Yeah, you know, I think it's an emotional reaction to the achievement, the success you've been able to do, to step up and face fear and actually achieve that is a big deal. But also a lot of the time you do realize like, oh, my God, I've been thinking about reaching out to that person or or trying that 360 or the backflip for so long that – oh my God, what was I so worried about? I wish I tried it a year ago. (laughs) Who am I listening to? You know, I need to go out and back myself a bit more. And that's the thing. Back yourself, trust yourself, aim really, really high and enjoy it. You know, it's, it's a lot of fun. Stay safe. Your belief is your reality. Where can we find you if we want to track you down? Sure. Can we find you on Instagram? Can we find you on the web? Where can we find you? Yeah, look, uh, Instagram's best for me. Um, I'm on the road a lot, but if anyone wants to reach out, say hello or find out some more about what I do, Mikey Williams Snow is the Instagram. Are you doing any uh, improvement camps again or are you just doing privates now? We're sort of operating with the private team and, and, and some exceptional members of that team, some really exciting Aussie athletes coming up. Obviously, we've got Valentino. There's Jesse Parkinson. Jessica McGregor is a young girl from Melbourne who is going to be an absolute superstar and a future Olympian, so keep out for her. There's a girl called Mila Stalker as well who's recently had um, a couple of top 10 World Cup results. And obviously, you know, there's Mia Brooks from Great Britain, a boy called Charlie Lane from Great Britain. And these are sort of the kids that I am pulling through. But at times we do do some development camps, some airbags. So give us a shout. And um, yeah, if there's any way I can help, please reach out. All right. Thanks so much for your time, Mikey. Always a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much, Rach. Thanks for listening to the Snow's Best Podcast. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe via your favorite podcast platform. Like at Miss Snow It All on socials and hit up the snowisbest.com website for everything you need to know snow.